Good morning, Gateway. How is everybody? Doing well? It's great to see you on this beautiful morning to worship together and come before the Lord as family and share in community. Just have a few announcements before we get started this morning. A um, couple things going on in the life of our body to plan for. Ladies, we've been mentioning this past few weeks, but there's a women's retreat coming up October 6th through the 8th. It will be in Mentone, Alabama, just a time of rest and renewal. Um, many women have already signed up, but we just ask you to register on our website at gatewaybaptist.com to prepare for that wonderful weekend together. We've been announcing the past few weeks, very excited about what's happening this next weekend. We are having a church-wide square dance, going to come together and have a little hoedown together and uh, see how the Holy Spirit leads us in our little dancing steps. With uh, We do have a professional caller coming, very excited about that to teach us. So this Saturday, September 23rd, 6 p.m. in the gym. Uh, very excited about that. It's for all ages, but as Grady said in the past, we will have child care for those six and under because uh, it will be a little more difficult for them to, you know, participate with us. But six and under in the nursery. And, again, we do ask you to please register. We're going to have refreshments just to kind of prepare accordingly. Uh, but if you could please register by this Wednesday, that will just help us again at the website at gatewaybaptist.com. And lastly, we always want to encourage all of you. We love that we come during this time. I mean, this is so important to be discipled, to worship, to pray together, to engage in community. But we have so many other connection points here that we just want to encourage you to ask about if you have any questions. Our website has some pages, a connection point on the website. Come talk to me if you have any questions about other small groups that we offer, Bible studies. Uh, we just really want to encourage you to connect in a deeper way with one or two small groups just to get to know the family more intimately and to share life together, encourage one another. Um, so we just ask you to do that, and I'm available at any time by phone or just come up to me after the service if you have any questions. Well, let's stand and prepare our hearts before the Lord to worship Him through song. In light of us, uh, the past few weeks, obviously, us starting Genesis, I just love the beginning of this psalm, Psalm 136. just want to encourage us with this morning just about the goodness of God and through his creation. Psalm 136, verses 1 through 9. says, Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his loving kindness is everlasting. Give thanks to the God of gods, for his loving kindness is everlasting. Give thanks to the Lord of lords, for his loving kindness is everlasting. To him who alone does great wonders, for his loving kindness is everlasting. To him who made the heavens with skill, for his loving kindness is everlasting. To him who spread out the earth above the waters, for his loving kindness is everlasting. To him who made the great lights, for his loving kindness is everlasting. The sun to rule by day, for his loving kindness is everlasting. The moon and stars to rule by night, for his loving kindness is everlasting. Let's worship our creator as his loving kindness is everlasting. Take the world.
Oh 
You'll just remain where you're standing for just a minute and reflect on what you've just sung to the Lord. How marvelous is my Savior's love for me. If that's your experience this morning of rejoicing in the Savior's love, I want you to take a minute just where you're standing and just thank the Lord for that. But if this morning you're feeling, you know, I'm not sure I'm really experiencing the Savior's love this morning, would you take a minute where you're standing and just ask the Lord to give you an increased sense of His great love for you. Let's think about what we've sung. Let's take it to the Lord in prayer for just a moment. Father, what an incredible truth. We've just proclaimed this song. How marvelous is my Savior's love for me. That you looked upon wretched sinners like us. And you still chose to create us. You still chose to redeem us. And you still choose to pursue us and love us and give us grace upon grace. Grace that we do not deserve. 
nor for myself, for these precious brothers and sisters gathered this morning. God, I pray that your love for us will be precious to us, will be wonderful to us. But we confess our hearts can grow so cold to you at times, even though we're immersed in the life of the church, even though we're so familiar with a lot of these truths. Lord, our hearts can grow cold to really enjoying your love and think about how wonderful it is. So, Lord, would you forgive us for how often we lose sight of your glory and your greatness. And I pray that what we've just sung will be our song, not just this morning gathered, but all week long, that we would be a people who marvel and rejoice and experience your great love for us. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. We get the joy right now of having one of our own church members, Emily Griffin. If you want to come, Griffin, sorry, Emily Naylor, I still call you by your maiden name. You're a newlywed, and I still call you by your maiden name. So, sorry, Mitchell. We'll get, we'll get it right. But, but Emily is a Gateway member, and she works with a ministry that serves people in Kenya called Meskel's Children's Center of Hope. And we've asked her to give you an update about what's going on at Meskel so you can pray and you can be involved. But also, we want you to hear about her trip to Kenya recently as we are continuing to pray that God would give us as a church a heart for the nations and grow in us a love for the nations. So what we just sang about this morning, his love for us, we know his love is also for the nations. And so I want you to hear from her. And then after she shares, Mike Pressman, our deacons will lead us in her time. And then kids, you'll be dismissed to kids' worship after that point. But we want you kids to be in here to hear this update about what God's doing in Kenya. Emily? Well, thank you so much, everyone, for just allowing a moment to share. Um, for those of you um, who I haven't met, my name is Emily Naylor, and yes, I still get that wrong a lot of times too, Katie, so it's okay. Um, and I work for a ministry uh, called Meskel's Children's Center of Hope. It's quite the mouthful. Uh, but our U.S. office is based here in Montgomery, but the ministry itself is in western Kenya. And so uh, the ministry, we are at, we're a gospel-centered children's home and community development ministry, meaning that we have a children's home that um, houses anywhere from 35 to 40 children at any given time who are orphaned or partially orphaned, um, who live there um, possibly because they, they don't have parents or a family member who can care for them or they can be safely cared for. And uh, we also have a, a Christian primary school that serves the most vulnerable children in the community where the school is located. Children that uh, would not be able to go to school otherwise because you have to pay even to be able to attend public school in Kenya. And so when those children come uh, to our primary school, they're not only receiving a very quality education, but most importantly, um, they're hearing about Christ, they're hearing the gospel, um, and then they're able to go and share that with their families uh, back in their home. Uh, and also some other, some other programs um, that we offer, realizing that, that any program that we offer, any service that we offer, is, it is simply a means uh, to an end of being able to share the gospel and make disciples um, of people in the community there in Kenya where it's located. And this ministry is one that's found and it's led by and it's run by Kenyan believers on the ground. Um, everything we do here in the States is from a support standpoint. So financial support, prayer support, sending teams um, to the work that they're doing in their community um, to make disciples. And so um, I did, I was there in July, um, in mid-July, and wanted to share a little bit with you guys about that particular trip. Um, and so the main purpose um, of what we were there to do was to put on a, um, a clinic for the community where they could come 
because even simple things like um, knowing whether or not you have high blood sugar or a high blood pressure, things like that, um, in this area that's very rural and there's not many resources, uh, that, that's a huge issue in this community. We had people come in um, during our clinic that had blood pressure that was stroke level, that had um, blood sugar that was so high uh, that it, they really clearly were, were probably dealing with diabetes. And so not only uh, we had Kenyan believers and American believers that were working side by side um, to be able to do these assessments and then be able to share the gospel with people as they came through and as they received those services. And so um, in the next slide, we just have a... Um, just a really, a really awesome picture that I love um, because it's so representative of mess schools and, um, and really just working side by side, believers from different contexts, um, sharing the gospel, making disciples in the community. And in the next picture, um, we also, our team, uh, we got the joy of just spending time with some students in our primary school. Um, these students are just such a reflection of the love of Christ. Um, they're coming from backgrounds that are, it's, it would be hard for me to describe, and really, none of us really can understand um, the type of poverty that these students are coming from, uh, materially, relationally, spiritually. Uh, but then again, all of us experience poverty, uh, not just people in Kenya. Uh, but these students are, every day, they're hearing about the love of Jesus. They are hearing the gospel. Um, and we receive reports all of the time of these students who are able to go back into their homes as they're sharing the love of Christ with their parents and their parents are coming back to our teachers and our administrators and are asking to know more about Jesus. Um, and so, um, and I think, yeah, and so the next picture is, um, these are just some of our kids that live in the children's home. Um, and when I say children's home, I know it can be easy to picture a really large institution because there are children's homes like that, but um, our home is, is really much different. It's smaller. Um, these kids, um, some of them have lived at mess schools for many years. Some of them are newer. Um, but each and every day, um, these children are hearing the gospel. Um, they're, they are, they're being discipled. Every night, our team was able to have devotions with our students who we weren't leading these devotions. They were leading, um, singing praises, reciting scripture, um, talking about what the Lord was teaching them in their daily time in the word. And so we know that the whole vision and the whole plan for Meskels is to be um, discipling children to be future Christian leaders of Kenya and the world. And so um, it's starting here with these children in our children's home, and we love spending time with them as well. Um, in the next slide, which... I'm not even sure where it is. Okay, there it is. Um, is uh, I, in this short amount of time, um, I did just want to share with you a little bit about the ministry in general. Um, but a way that you can know more is that in the month of October, October 25th, in fact, um, we have a presentation that we're going to be releasing. Um, it's kind of like a, a digital storytelling event. When we were in Kenya, part of this trip um, was just being able to record some of the amazing stories of people that work in the ministry and are served by the ministry. It's called Stories of Hope, um, and it's going to go live on our Facebook page, at Meskels Kids, or our website, meskelskids.org. Um, it's going to be about 25 or 30 minutes long, and it will really give you um, a much deeper picture into the work of Meskels. And when I say the work of Meskels, I really mean it's simply the work of the Lord um, that we're getting to experience, that we're getting to view at Meskels, um, taking place on the ground in Kenya. It will show you um, additional ways that you can be involved with the ministry through praying, through giving, through going. Um, I would love to see uh, many of you come with me on a trip to Kenya one day. 
um, that would be that would be amazing. Um, and again, just additional ways that you can know more and that you can support um, by on October 25th, um, just logging into Facebook or our website um, and being able to view that presentation. And of course, anytime you see me um, around Gateway, my email, emily at meschoolskids.org, I would love, love, love to share with you more um, about what God is doing in Kenya through Mess Schools. So thank you so much. And I think that was five minutes. Wow. <laughs> All right, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord God, you are Lord over the heavens and the earth. Your glory is far beyond anything that we can even imagine. But Lord, you're not a mystery to us. You came to us to live among us as Christ, and you've given us your word, the Bible. Lord, we thank you for the saving grace of Jesus, and we confess, Lord, that we fall short each and every day. We need you, Jesus. Please help us, Lord, to, as we sang earlier, to build our lives on that solid rock of Christ. As Jesus says in Matthew 7, everyone who then hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. Lord, help us to be like the wise man who hears your words and obeys, and help us to build our house on that rock of Christ. Lord, we thank you for the gift of marriage and for the many marriages here in our body at Gateway. And Lord, we pray that you would strengthen our marriages and just protect them from the attacks of the would love nothing more than to divide and destroy what you have called good. Lord, we pray that our marriages would be full of grace and selflessness, Lord, and that we would always seek to put you at the head of them. Help us to be merciful in our marriages and humble, and just to love each other as Christ loves the church. Lord God, we thank you uh, for Jeff and Jennifer Hand Fisher's Farm. Lord, we just love this group of men who have called, often at their lowest point, to be drawn to you through this ministry, Lord. And we're so grateful that they're part of our church body. Lord, we have seen lives transformed and redeemed by you through this ministry. And we pray that you would continue to bless them, provide for any needs, and just to continue to work through them to strengthen the men whose lives are being changed by you through Fisher's Farm. And Lord, we thank you, and we don't take for granted that we live in a country where we can gather and worship you freely and openly. And Lord, we pray for the leaders of our country. We pray for our president, for Congress. Lord, we pray for the leaders of our state, for Governor Ivey and our other state government leaders. And locally, we pay, pray for the mayor and our city leaders. And we just pray that all of these leaders would recognize that it is you who placed them in their positions, Lord. And Lord, may they humbly and fearfully turn to you as their source of guidance as they lead. And may you surround them with wisdom and good counselors. Lord, we thank you for the missionaries who are fulfilling your call to go to the nations in the name of the gospel praise you for the work you're doing through med schools 
and, uh, and through Emily. Lord, we thank you for and praise you for the, the positive things going on there in Kenya, Lord. And we're so thankful for that organization who seeks to equip Kenyans, Lord, to share the gospel. And Lord, I pray that as the children not only learn the things that they need to learn education-wise, Lord, but they're learning the, the best news of all, Lord, and that's your gospel, that through Jesus, Lord, they can be saved and redeemed. And Lord, I pray that as they uh, hear that message, Lord, that they would be uh, effective in taking it home to their parents and, and those around them, Lord, and that through the Spirit, Lord, you would draw many people to you. And I just pray your continued blessings on Meskels as they seek to fulfill that mission. Lord, we also pray specifically for a mission team that's reaching people with the gospel on Pearl Island in Southeast Asia. Uh, Lord, you've connected that team with more people who are interested in talking about Jesus, Lord, and we praise you for that open door and pray that they would come to faith in you and that faith would become a catalyst to reach their family and friends in the name of Christ. And Lord, everything we have comes from you our finances. Lord, we pray that you would bless the offering given uh, today and online this week, and that you would grant wisdom as we seek to use the resources at Gateway you have provided us to further your kingdom. And Father, finally, we thank you for our study on Genesis and just the amazing, mind-blowing story of your creation. We thank you for our pastor and our shepherd, Grady and how he's just so faithful to study, prepare, and preach your word each and every week, proclaiming the gospel. Please guide him through the Holy Spirit as he preaches and teaches today. And please open our hearts and our minds to soak in the truth of your word as it is proclaimed. And Lord, may our worship be pleasing to you today. And we pray all this in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. You're dismissed in worship first and fourth graders. We have passed the CK this morning. So all the boys and girls are on the move. They're just playing Genesis chapter 1 in your copy of God's Word, Genesis chapter 1. We're continuing our journey through the opening chapter of the Bible. Yes, we're still in Genesis 1, and we still have a little ways more to go in it. This is the, we're in the middle right now of the culmination of Creation. Day six of the creation account for us. Just a reminder of what we've seen these last few weeks. We began with the very beginning, in the beginning, God. And we saw that God has always existed. And then we saw that God made everything from nothing. That God created the heavens and the earth. And then we saw the first act of creation when God made the raw materials. So we saw there in verse two, the earth was formless and void. If you remember back to that key verse there, there were two key words in the Hebrew that morning. Tohu, the earth was formless, and Bohu, the earth was void and empty. And then two weeks ago, we saw the amazing orderliness of God and how he filled the formlessness, how he filled the void. And on days one, two, and three of creation, he fixed the formlessness by making light and sky and land and plants. And on days four, five, and six of creation, he dealt with the voidness and he filled what he had made with the sun, the moon, the stars, the birds, the, the sea creatures, and the land animals. And then last week, we got to the culmination of creation, the creation of humanity, unlike anything else that God had made. CJ showed us last week how people were made by God in the image of God. But if you think back to last week when God made the first people, there were just two. 
The earth wasn't, wasn't filled yet. There were just two of them, and that was Adam and Eve, which we'll see more about in chapter 2 when it hones in a little bit more force on the creation of humanity. So the earth has not exactly been filled yet. There's two people in the image of God, but that is it in terms of humanity. So how will the void of the earth be filled with more people? And what is the role of those that God has made his image in terms of the rest of creation? And that's where Genesis goes next for us here. As we continue in day six of creation, as God further explains what he did in creation, he's going to show us his plan for how the earth would be filled, how that void would be addressed, and how the people made in his image were to relate to the rest of creation. And in showing us this, we now come to the first two commands of the Bible. We've seen so many firsts in this. We saw the first subject of the Bible, God himself, and the first verb of the Bible, that God created everything from nothing. Now we come to the first two commands in the Bible given to humanity. These are sometimes called the creation mandate, the initial commands that God gives to his image bearers. We'll look at the first of those commands today, and then we'll get the second of them next Sunday. So I'll spend a week on each of the two first commands given in Scripture. Now, before we jump into today's command, there's an overarching truth that unites what we'll see this week and next week. And this is the truth that kind of brings together these first two commands of the creation man. It's simply this, friends. The God who made the universe graciously invites us to join him in his work. And I think we have that on the screen for you. The God who made the universe graciously invites us to join him in his work. So how will the void be filled with more people? Well, God invites us. Do we have it up there, Xander? Yeah, there it is. How's the void going to be filled? God invites us to join him in his work. How's the earth going to be taken care of? God invites us to join him in his work. This is incredible, friends. This, again, as we think about Genesis being so mind-blowing here, the God who made everything from nothing, a God who is independent, who needs absolutely nothing, has chosen to invite his image bearers to be involved in his work. He did not have to choose to do it this way. He does not need us, but he chose to invite us to be involved in what he is doing. So what is it that God invites us to be involved in doing? Well, there's two things in this creation mandate. And let's start with the first of those today. Now to see it, we're going to go back to verse 27 that CJ preached last week because it flows right into 28. And we're only going to look at the first half of 28 today and then jump back into that next week. But let's look at the first part of the creation mandate in Genesis 1, 27 and 28. Can I ask you to stand please in honor of the reading of the word of God? And I'm reading out the English Standard Version. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you've not hidden yourself from us. But God, you've revealed yourself to us. God, I pray this morning as we look at this part of the creation mandate, that God, you would open up our minds to awe and wonder at your plans that you did not have to choose to do it this way, but this was your sovereign good plan. Lord, I pray you'd open up our minds to see all of our role in what you've called us to do. Lord, help us be faithful as your people. We need your grace to do so. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated there. Now, before we look at this first command, this first part of the creation mandate, I want to ask an important question for us. And that question is, who does this text, what we just read, who does this apply to? Because it's easy to look at this command and kind of breeze on by. Either thinking, okay, that's true, that's simple, let's move on. Or it's easy to say, hey, this isn't my stage of life, this does not apply to me. But friends, the reality is if you are in Christ, whether you are married or not, and if you're in Christ, whether you have children or not, there is application in this command and this truth to you. 
Yes, this command specifically addresses children and having children, but it is about much more than just having children. It has to do everything with God's purposes for humanity on the earth, his purposes for you and his purposes for others. So we want to explore that bigger picture of this command and not just rush through it this morning. Now, before we do so, I want to say a quick word first to our single friends here. I realize texts like this can be hard for you, whether you feel called to singleness or whether you are desiring marriage. And so at the outset, before we jump into this text about children, I want to say to you and remind you that Scripture affirms and calls good your singleness. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 8. I just want to remind you what the Apostle Paul says. He says, to the unmarried and to the widows, I say it is good for them to remain single as I am. In God's plan, your singleness can be a gift from God and His goodness to you. Likewise, he can say later in 1 Corinthians 7, 32 to 34, I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. Verse 33, but the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife. Verse 34, and his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her Husband. So I say that at the front before we jump into a text about children to remind you, you do not have to be married to be used by God. You do not have to be married to be involved in God's purposes related to children and his kingdom purposes that we are going to explore this morning. But back to verse 28 this morning to the command that we are looking at here to be fruitful and multiply and to fill the earth. I also want to say a word to our friends here who are unable to have children I realize this text can be very painful for you when your heart's long for this reality, but for some reason in God's providence, he's not granted you your heart's desire for children. And I want to say to you this morning, before we jump into this text, God's love for you is not based on whether or not you have biological children in this life. We live in a broken world. We live in a world where there's pain from different sicknesses and trials. And yes, this is a pain that some, even in our body here, feel. The world does not operate as God originally created it to be. But God reminds us that he walks with us through all the ups and downs, all the pains, all the valleys in this life. And for you who look at texts like this and and you feel grief in your heart, it is good to grieve and follow what the psalmist do and take your laments and your griefs to the Lord in faith to him. But like I said, to our single friends related to this text, you do not have to have children to be used by God. You do not have to have children of your own to be involved in God's purposes that we see laid out here. But one more word here, and that's to the kids in the room, to the children. You may look at this text and go, hey, this is not for me. This is something for my parents. Or this, is, this has nothing to do with me. I want you to realize these commands are important to you as well because these commands show you that you are important to God You're important to your family, and you have an important part in God's plan for the world. And so I want you as children to not check out on this, but to realize that you're part of what we're talking about here because God has a good plan. One last word before we get into the text. I've ever had so many disclaimers at the beginning before. And to the grandparents in the room, this is not going, okay, this is for the parents. I'm off the hook. I've done my part. We have a book in the Resource Center called You Never Stop Being a Parent. There's still a role for you in this as well. Not only for you parenting your grown kids, but for your grandkids as well, if God has chosen to give you that. So this is for you 
as well. So all that to say at the beginning, this is not a text to go to breeze past. This is something that has application to every single one of us, whether we're young, old, married, unmarried, with children, without children. There's truth in God's plan for all of us here today. Now to understand this command, we need to take a step back to the previous verse, the verse that CJ taught us so well last week. So go back to verse 27 this morning and notice how this all begins because our first part of the creation mandate flows straight out of verse 27 years. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Now to understand the command that we have here this morning that we're about to come to, we need to understand the terminology here. When God is speaking here, and this has been recorded for us, he does not use the term here in verse 27 for man and woman. It doesn't say man and woman, he created them. It says male and female. Now this is significant because the Hebrew terms here that we translate male and female are the words that emphasize human sexuality here. This means that from the beginning when God created humanity, he created people as sexual beings. That means sexuality is not a result of the fall. This is pre-fall in the good sovereign plan of God. That means our sexuality is not a biological accident. It is a gift from God. And it's a gift from God to be expressed within the God-given parameters of marriage. You notice all the thems here and what we'll see in a minute. When God speaks to them, he's speaking to Adam and Eve, the first human couple. This means for now that we can explore this more later in Genesis, the gift of sexuality is not for us to decide how we get to express it. It's something God gives in his goodness to one man and one woman to be united in life in a covenant of marriage and only within that context. Now, within that context, there's much good that comes from God's plan for sexuality. But this first creation mandate focuses on one aspect of why God makes people sexual beings and why he calls it good. So go to verse 28. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our... Sorry, let me go back. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created male and female. He created them. Now verse 28. And God blessed them, male and female, the man and woman in marriage. And God said to them... The husband and wife here, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. So three commands repeated here. They all sound different, but they all mean the exact same thing here. And in Scripture, when you see something repeated over and over, you see something repeated three times in a row, it means it's really important. God didn't just say it one way. He said it three different times in three different ways because this is so important in his plan. And what does this repeated idea mean? It simply means if you're married and able to have children, pursue it. And be excited about it. If you're married and you're able to have children, to pursue having children and be excited about it. He tells us to be fruitful. That means to have sexual relationship in the context of marriage and have children. To multiply, to have offspring if you're able to. To fill the earth, to have generations that come from your family line. Now friends, this is so different than the world we live in today. Because in the world we live in today, children are not valued. In the world we live in today, children are seen as hindrances to one's career. They're seen as inconveniences to pursuing your hobbies and your entertainment. And so we live in a pandemic to where not only are children unloved, but people are encouraged to kill their children before they're born so they can fulfill their own dreams. And so the very first command given by God in all of Scripture, the significance is the very first words that are recorded for humanity in here is that this command to be fruitful, to multiply, to fill the earth. Again, if you're married and able to have children, it's a command to pursue it and to be excited about it. And this command is so important in God's plan. It's not only here, it's repeated throughout Scripture. So, for example, after the flood, when God wipes out all of humanity apart from one family, and since the world was becoming void again of humanity, what does God say? Genesis chapter 9, verse 1. Notice what God tells Noah and his family. And God blessed Noah. Okay, this is sounding very familiar here to Genesis 1. And he said to them, be fruitful 
and multiply and fill the earth. So after God wipes out humanity apart from Noah and his line, what does he do? He reiterates the first command. So the first command given to people at creation is repeated as the first command given to people after the flood. This is God's will is for husbands and wives to have children, have children, have children, and fill the earth. In fact, it's so important, God repeats it a few verses later to Noah in Genesis chapter 9, verse 7. And you, as he personalizes it to their family, you be fruitful, you multiply, and you team on the earth and multiply in it. God is calling people to have the next generation. In fact, it's so important that God repeats it in Genesis 35. When God is directing his people in the Old Testament, he says to Jacob, the father of Israel, and God said, and your name is Jacob. No longer shall your name be called Jacob, but Israel shall be your name. So he called his name Israel. Then in verse 11, what does he say to him? And God said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. Here it is again. A nation, a company, a nation shall come from you, and kings shall come from your own body. Do you see what he does to, to Jacob, to Israel? He's saying, think long term. Think of my plan to fill the earth through your line. You have children. See children as a blessing. Be excited about it and pursue that. So go back to verse 28. This morning, and God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Again, I think we breeze past this and miss the wonder of this first command. I want you to hear something that one of the authors I study on Genesis, his name is Kent Hughes, he said. This just made me stop in my tracks and ponder a lot this week. He ties this command into the rest of the creation account. Here's what Kent Hughes says He says, Though you could travel a hundred times the speed of light, past countless yellow and orange stars to the edges of the galaxy and swoop down to the fiery glow located a few hundred light years below the plane of the Milky Way. Though you could slow to examine the host of hot young stars luminous among the gas and the dust, though you could observe close up the protostars poised to burst forth from their dusty cocoons, though you could witness a star's birth in all your stellar journeys, you would never see anything equal to the birth and the wonder of a human being. For a tiny baby girl or boy is the apex of God's creation. Think about that for a minute. If you could swoop through the galaxy and all those pictures we saw a few weeks ago in the creation account of galaxies colliding and nebula and all the space gases and stars being formed and all the wonders of the vastness of space, he says you would never see anything equal in grandeur or awe or wonder to the birth of a human being, to the entry of a baby boy or girl into the world. And this is why he says that. He says, the greatest wonder of all is that the child is created in the image of God, the Imago Dei. The child once was not, now is a created soul. He or she is eternal. He or she will exist forever. When the stars of the universe fade away, that soul shall live. So you can fly across, if you could fly across the galaxy and see stars, those will all fade away. They're temporary. But when you see a new baby, a new boy, a new little girl... That person is now eternal in their soul, and their soul will live forever. You would never see anything equal to the birth and wonder of a human being for a tiny baby girl or boy is the apex of God's creation. And like that, remember, these first commands are God inviting us to join him in his work. His work involves filling the earth with image bearers of himself, and he could have filled the earth with image bearers of himself anyway he chose, but he chose to make human males and human females to bring them together in the covenant of marriage and then to create more image bearers of himself so the generations would come from them. Image bearers who, in the words of Kent Hughes, when the stars fade away, will still live. Now there's something important here about this command that I think we miss so often. 
And that's the end goal of this command. When God does things, when God creates here, he creates with the end in view. We saw that earlier. Do you remember when he made light before making the sun? Now, it's pointing us to the end times reality when there will be the light but no sun because we're in the presence of God. Even when God created the human form of men, like we saw last week, he was doing so knowing that Christ would come and take on this human form. Everything God made, he did with the end in view. Everything God did, he did with purpose. And that includes this command to have children. So when we go back to our verse here and this command to multiply and to fill the earth, that's not the end all be all of God's plan. What is God's ultimate desire in people? What is God's ultimate desire in having the world full of image bearers for himself? What is God's ultimate desire for you? Well, Jesus tells us, John chapter 17, verse 3. What is his desire for us? And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you sent. Now, CJ brought this out last week. We're made in the image of God. We're made spiritual beings. That means we can know God. Your pet dog, your pet cat can't know God. But you can. You're an image bearer of God. And so God's ultimate desire for people is that they would know him. That's why we long for eternity, friends. When we see God with unveiled faces, when we experience the fullness of his glory for all eternity. So when God creates human life and says, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth, he's doing so with this in view. That means having children is good, but the ultimate goal is children who will become adults who will know God and make God known. So this command to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth is intrinsically linked to the Great Commission. Don't miss this. This first command in the scripture, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth, is tied to the last words of Jesus to make disciples. That God's desire is not just the earth to be full of people. His desire is for the earth to be full of people who will know him and who will worship him and will intentionally reflect his image to others. As one of the authors I read this week said it, the creation mandate has been reiterated to the people of God throughout Scripture. The final and the ultimate reiteration of this mandate is the Great Commission. So see Genesis 1 here tied to the Great Commission. So God gives children to parents for what reason? Matthew 28, 19 and 20. If you have children, why do you have children? So you can go, therefore, and make disciples of them, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And verse 20, and teaching them to observe everything that Christ has commanded because he is with you always to the end of the age. God's ultimate goal is not just fill the earth with people. It's to fill the earth with people who we will teach to know him and to worship him, who will teach others to worship him as well. That's why parents are given the very specific instructions in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 6 and 7. You hear me read these. Do we have Deuteronomy 6, Xander? There he goes. This is why you hear me read these when we do baby dedications. These words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Now notice this. What we're called to do as parents flows from that. You can't teach your kids what's not real to you. And so your call to disciple your kids requires you to be being a disciple of Christ. You have to, it needs to be an overflow, not kids go do as I say, not as I do. Kids go love Jesus, but not like I do. It starts in our own hearts. These words that I command you will be on your heart. Now, verse 7, he says, you shall teach them occasionally on Sunday mornings when the church gathers. No, you teach them diligently to your children. So much so that you talk to them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise from the overflow of your own intimacy with Christ. You are called to not just have children and send them on their way, but to teach them diligently to where you're filling the conversations in the car at Walmart on the way to the football game, when you're out playing with them on the floor in the backyard, to be filling your conversations with diligent teaching them of who Christ is as you seek to make disciples of them. God's goal is not just more people, but people who will know him and who will worship him. 
So let me pause for a minute and kind of give you the main idea and then we want to unpack it just a little bit more. But here's what I want you to be, I hope you're seeing from this text. God is calling us to value children and to be involved in shaping them according to his will. That's why I said this is for all of us in the church. Whether or not you are married, whether or not you have your own biological children or adopted children, God is calling every single one of us to see what he's doing here at Genesis 1 that ultimately is fulfilled in the Great Commission will be fulfilled in Revelation in a time is to value children and to be doing his work of shaping those kids according to his will. This is a call for us to take our eyes off ourselves to look to the next generation. That means if you're, if you're married and able to have children, to do so with excitement, not seeing them as a burden. This means even more, though, to call children, all of us, to follow Christ, to call young people to follow Christ, and ultimately for us to see every image bearer of God around us and say, I want them to know God and to point them to Christ as well. So I believe the main thrust of this command, the first creation mandate, is this, for us to value kids and to be involved all in shaping them according to his will. Now, again, this truth has application to all walks of life. I mentioned at the beginning several groups here, and I want to speak back to that again as we think about this text. For you who are married couples, <coughs> excuse me, who have children, whether they're biological, praise God for the many of you who've done adoption and shown us that beautiful picture of what God has done for us. If you have children, this truth means you're to see your kids as a blessing. Now, I know that can be hard at times when they're waking up at 2 in the morning throwing up, Right? or if they're, they're inconveniencing what you're wanting to do. But this truth is telling you your children are a blessing, a gift from a sovereign God, and you are to prioritize them more than your hobbies, more than your career. They are God's plan for the next generation. They're one of your most important tasks in this life. So this text is calling you, if you have children at home, to see your, your, see your kids as a gift from God and a stewardship as well. A stewardship God has given to you to teach them God's way, to love them well, to call them to repent and believe. That's why if you've been given children by God, you have a serious calling. I love what it says in Deuteronomy 32, 46 and 47, this blessing from Moses. He said to them, take to heart all the words which I am warning you today, notice this, so that you may command them to your children. So don't just internalize the truth of God. You have a calling to pass them on to the next generation that they also may be careful to do all the words of this law. But notice how serious it is. Verse 47, for it is no empty word for you, but your very life. And by this word, you shall live long in the land you're going over the Jordan to possess. It doesn't say this is your very life to advance in your career. It doesn't say it's your very life to make sure your kids get straight A's. Your very life as a parent, is tied to knowing God and helping your kids know God as well. I love what John Piper says. He says, marriage is for making children disciples of Jesus. Marriage is for making children disciples of Jesus. Again, I want to speak back again to the married couples here at Gateway who love to have children but are not able to do so. That's the experience of many you see in Scripture and throughout church history. And the good news for you of this text is you get to have spiritual children. You get to Remember Jesus himself, he never had physical children, yet he perfectly obeyed every command, every law that was given in Scripture, including this creation mandate. How? Because this is more than just having biological children. This is about having spiritual children, about filling the world with people who will love Jesus. That's exactly what Jesus himself did. You see it with his disciples who were family to him, who he taught them, he nurtured them, he guided them, he loved them. It's what he did with the multitudes. He taught people the ways of God and he had created spiritual children who would love God to fill the earth with the worship of God. 
And that's the same true for our single friends as well. You actually, as we read earlier, you have time, you have capacity to have more spiritual children than the families with children the church have. Think of the Apostle Paul who never married, but notice how he described his spiritual children. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 14 and 15. I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved Children, He goes on in verse 15. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Paul, who never married and was used by God not only to teach us so much about marriage, but to write so much of the New Testament scriptures, he saw his spiritual converts as his children, as a father to them. He says this in Galatians 4, 19 as well. He says, My little children, for whom I ang- for whom again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed, and you, that for Paul, there was anguish in his soul because he so loved the people that God had put in his life. First Timothy 1, 2, you see him addressing Timothy in this way. To Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Timothy was his true child. And so you see this in the life of Christ. You see this in Paul, that you do not have to have biological or adopted children to be used by God. You can invest in spiritual children in this life. And for Paul, these were his joy. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 19 and 20. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus is coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and our joy. And so Paul found joy in investing in spiritual children who he would point to God who became family to him. So yes, having children is good. It's a gift. But God's greater desire is for the world to be full of people who will love him. One of the authors I read this week said it so well. The procreation mandate given to Adam is reissued through the coming of Christ. Go forth and multiply spiritual children. So don't miss the connection of Genesis two here, or Genesis 1 here with the Great Commission. Another author I read this week said it so well. She wrote, It is not an absolute that we will marry or that we will have children. What is an absolute is that we are called to bear and raise spiritual children within the covenant marriage of Christ and the church. Again, don't miss it. It's not an absolute that we will marry or that we will have children. What is an absolute is that we are called to bear and raise spiritual children within the covenant marriage of Christ and his church. Whether you're in a season of bearing and raising children or a season of painful barrenness, either physically or circumstantially, we are called to the same task, gifted with the same blessing. Therefore, it is my pleasure to invite you, child of God, to go make disciples. So friends, when you read this text, regardless of what stage of life you're in, this is an invitation for you to go and make disciples of Christ in the world. But there's one last application for all of us from this text. Remember I said that the kind of main idea of the text is a command to call us to value children. And that's the perspective shift for us here. Go back to verse 28. Notice how all this is framed. It began with, and God blessed them. This command is a divine blessing. It's not a divine imposition. It's not a divine curse. It's not a divine scheduled hindrance. This is a blessing. God blessed them and his blessing was go be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth with image bearers of God and call them to worship him. And God's plan, children are a divine blessing. Mark chapter 10 verses 13 and 14. And they were bringing children to him that he might touch them. And the disciples, notice the human heart is not new now, it's back then, they rebuked him. Children, even to the disciples, were a hindrance and inconvenience. So Jesus is too busy for this. But what does Jesus say? No, when he saw it, he was indignant. Now, don't miss that. 
When the disciples saw kids as an inconvenience, it made our Savior indignant. And he said to them, let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for such belongs the kingdom of God. That raises a question for me, for you, regardless of what stage of life we're all in, is do we see children as a blessing? Do we welcome children the way Jesus welcomed children? Do we value them? So friends, whether or not you have children in your life, God has put people around you with kids. He's put kids in your life. Do you know them? Do you know their names? Do you value them? Do you see them as blessings? When you're out in the restaurant and that family is struggling with the young kids, when the kids are making noise in the row in front of you at church and they're starting to annoy you, do you groan and roll your eyes? Or do you say, wow, God, thank you for that blessing of that young life in front of me. Do you pray for that family? Do you pray for that kid? Do you look for practical ways to serve them. Well, this is a reality check for us, even here at Gateway. I was working on some things for our elder team this last week, and I was looking at some of our just number statistics of who makes up the body of Christ here. And I was just blown away by this. I looked through all of our stuff. We have 419 people who are connected to Gateway, members and attendees. And of the 419 people at Gateway, 167 are kids. 40% of Gateway are minors, 18 and below. That is stunning. I mean, I, just, I knew we had a lot of kids. You see it every week when they're exiting for kids' worship, but that's only first to fourth. That's not who's in the nursery. That's not the teenagers who are here. 40% of the people God has brought to this fellowship are kids. Friends, that is unheard of in the church world today, in a world to where the church is, is mostly older people, to have a church where God has seen fit to give almost half of the body to be children. He has entrusted us an incredible stewardship that just blew my mind this week as we come into this text right here for us. And so I pray we are a church that doesn't see these 167 kids running around as some inconvenience or hindrance or a problem that we have to solve, but a blessing that God has stewarded to us. And I pray for the day to come to where every child here knows they are loved, not just by their parents, but by all the generations of the church, and a day to come to when every void in trying to teach these kids is filled and, and Molly is not having to stress to get people to work with kids because we see this incredible stewardship that God has brought to us. God just not, does not call us individually to value kids. He calls us collectively as a church to value kids and to be involved in shaping them according to his will. It's an individual mandate and it's a, cult, a corporate mandate for us as a church as well. But the reality, friends, for us is we have to choose whether we're going to obey this or not in our personal lives and as a church as well. Go back to verse 28 here. So God blessed them. Kids are a blessing. But notice what happens next. And God said to them. Now, this is profound, and there's so much we could unpack from that. But just one thing here. Notice that God speaks to the first couple to them. And God speaks to us now through his word. By speaking to them, God is showing us that as his people, we are responsible moral beings, that we have to choose to obey him or not. God addresses people in his image, and he's calling them to obey. That means they can choose to obey or not obey. We see this in James chapter 1, verse 22. Not only do we hear the word, but we're to be doers of the word, not hearers only. So when God speaks to Adam and Eve, and now when he speaks to us through his authoritative word here, we now as moral beings have a choice. Am I going to obey God or not obey God? We as a church can obey God or not obey God. And we're going to see in the weeks to come, in just a few weeks, what happens when Adam and Eve choose not to obey God on a different command and the havoc it wrecks in God's world. Because if you watch the news, you see the havoc being wrecked in God's world in a world where kids are not valued anymore. 
As you watch birth rates plummeting globally and countries in panic over that, as you look at the abortion worldwide as people choose to kill their children inside them versus raising them, as you see children growing up all across the city in this world with parents who love their jobs and who love being on Facebook more than loving to disciple their kids and spending time with them. There's a command that we, are, that we have a choice to obey or not. Verse 28, God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. So remember how we began today. Back to our very first idea for the morning. The God who made the universe graciously invites us to join him in his work. That this is God's plan. He could have done it any way he wanted to. But uniting all this creation mandates, we have an invitation from God to join him in his work. And what's the first thing God has called us to do? Back to our main idea for today. He calls us to value children and to be involved in shaping them according to his will. Now, friends, we are, there's many of us in many different life seasons here. So I have one question for you that I think applies to all of us this morning, regardless of what stage of life you're in. What is something you can do this week to value children and to be involved in shaping them according to God's will? What can you do this week to love the children God has put around you, whether in your home or in your office place or in the church here? What can you do to value and love kids this week? But even more, remember God's heart is for the world to be filled with people who worship him. What can you do this week to point people to Jesus? What can you do this week to help people made in the image of God understand who God is and come to a place they worship him and love him? Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the riches of your word. We thank you that we get a glimpse even here of your sovereign plan and your desire to be worshipped, to be known by peoples all over the world. And so, Lord, I thank you for showing us that your, your plan is for children to come to know you. And Lord, I pray for myself and these brothers and sisters. I pray for us as a church, Lord, that we would be a people who value children. There would be a place to where children are valued and loved and taught. That the homes of Gateway would be homes filled with the gospel and filled with parents discipling their own children. And I pray, Lord, that even in our neighborhoods, in our schools, and in the relationships we have with children outside of our immediate families and our church, that we would be a people who are known for loving kids and pointing them to you. Lord, we know you've called us here not just to know you, but to make you known. So would you grow us in that? Would you grow me in that? Would you grow all of us in having a heart to point those around us to you, to your glory, and to call people to repent and believe and to find you for who you are? Lord, we confess we fall so woefully short of doing that. Lord, we are selfish beings. You see it in all of our hearts. You see the selfishness that we try to hide from others. And so Lord, I pray even this week you'd grow us in that, that you would turn our eyes off ourselves to you, And turn our eyes as well to the next generation to see the importance of investing in those that you are raising up to be your children as well. So Lord, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your goodness to us. And Lord, I pray that you would be our hope. You would be our confidence. You would be our joy in all that we do. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand as we sing about Christ being our hope? our hope in life and death Christ alone Christ alone what is our only confidence that our souls to Him belong who holds our days within His hand what comes apart from his command and what will keep us to the end 
the love of Christ in which we stand. Oh, see, hallelujah, our hope springs eternal. Oh, see, hallelujah, now and ever we confess Christ our hope and life and
You really are our only hope in this life and for all eternity. Lord, give us the strength to do that, to keep our eyes focused on you. And with the eternal view all this week, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you, Gateway family. Have a good Sunday afternoon.